0: Well, hello, church. Uh, My name is Derek, and I'll be reading today's scripture from 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. Please please follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen above me. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable and to a snare of the devil. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Good morning everyone and welcome to True North Church. For those that are new or visiting, my name is Jam i one of the pastoral staff here, and today I'll be delivering God's word to you. Um, now, we're continuing on in our sermon series through the book of First Timothy, especially as we think about and uh, kind of oversee What does it mean for us to be shepherds? What does it mean for us to have a heart of a shepherd? What does it mean for us to lead and guide one another towards the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so we're going to be continuing on today as we go through uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and as we see a list of qualifications for a a leader in the church. Now before we get into that, I have a question I want to ask you. um, When was the last time you felt uh, betrayed? When was the last time you felt betrayed by somebody, you know, someone close to you? Well, I'll share. What happened to me this week? Um, Why are you guys laughing? You guys should be laughing. I I got betrayed. You know you shouldn't be laughing at that. But anyways, uh, there's a podcast that uh, our our pastor Eugene um, he he's a part of It's called Off the Pulpit. And this week uh, they talked about uh, worship and worship songs. And um, and um, he asked his other you know people, what is your worst or what is the worship song that you hate the most? and they're going around sharing what song they hate the most. And then uh, Pastor Eugene said he hated Oceans. And I was like, how, how can you do that to me? You know, I, I really believe like, Oceans is the best song ever. And the fact that he said that publicly, I, I thought I would get a bigger laugh than that. It, was, it played, played a lot better in my head. Anyways, I felt betrayed. And I think in many ways, um, when we think about leaders, and when we think about Christian leaders, and we think about just leaders in general, uh, there's uh, a, an overgrowing dis- uh, a mistrust that we have uh, towards people in leadership, right? Whether it's people in uh, the corporate world, whether it's people in uh, the political world, and especially people in uh, the church evangelical world, right? There's uh, kind of we're living in a time where we are seeing just so many different leaders fall from either scandal or being exposed to the fact that they are, uh, you know, taking advantage of their authority and their power and their position. And there is a growing mistrust of the fact that we wonder, like, well, why are people in leadership, how do they get there, and what do they do to even get, like, how do they even get that position, right? And as I mentioned before, um, it's not really surprising for us to see the amount of scandals and the amount of expo- uh, and exposure to these types of falling of moral failures within church leadership. Uh, because of the fact that, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, uh, the church has really began to mimic uh, the qualifications of leadership that we find in in, in corporate America. Uh, and, and not that finding, you know, these leadership qualities in itself is bad, but if we only look at those things as as leadership qualities and we ignore the qualifications that we find in Scripture, then, then we come to a place where people are going to abuse their power and authority, and people are going to uh, start using their power and authority for their own gain. Or they're going to start using their power and authority to cover up the, um, you know, their moral failures. And over the last maybe five years, uh, you know, both in, in a in a personal level and just even in uh, some of the pastors and ministry leaders that I would follow or that I respected or I read books on, um, there was a lot of cases where people uh, began falling morally right, Uh, people failing in their marriages, people failing within their churches, things being exposed about their leadership style or the abusiveness or or even just their their, their character or lack of character uh, and and how they abuse their authority and and it just kind of really took a toll on me. Uh, And it's like, I don't know what that sound is. I haven't shaved in a long time. Should I, should I use a handheld? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So, um, oh, that's much better. And, you know, I, I, you know as I was saying, I, you know, a lot of, even some personal pastor friends that I knew, or even just colleagues that I knew, um, you know, there was a lot of news that was coming out where they would fall, and there was a lot of scandal. And it affected me, uh, not because there was any uh, sort of accusation towards me, but just this idea, the the burden, the responsibility, and just even the fear of, well, here am I in this position of leadership, uh, what does it mean, or or how will people view me, or how will people view some of the actions or the decisions that we make, or that I make? Will people start criticizing? Will people see and, and, and accuse me of, of overstepping my authority, overstepping my position, overstepping and using my authority for, for my own gain? And so because of that, I, you know, just thinking back the last two years, I realized that uh, I, I really became kind of paralyzed and, and started abdicating my responsibility and said, you know what, let's just, um, let's just all kind of get along. You know, let's all kind of get along. Right. And the more I thought about this, I realized that there is a certain desire for us as human beings or even just in organizations where we all want everyone to be on the same page and we think that good leadership means that we get everyone on the same page. And when that doesn't happen, then we start be feeling a little attacked or we start feeling that we are not uh, being, you know, um, uh, good leaders or we are, we are failing at our duties. And that's kind of what I was struggling with and that's kind of what I was feeling. And I realized that that was not the case at all. That good leadership does not mean that you're going to have 100% buy-in from everybody. Uh, that because uh, the people are failing around you does not mean that you need to st- kind of stray or, or shy away from the responsibility that God has placed in you. And I think even for us as believers and as Christians or people that are maybe coming to church, we have to understand that in a community such as this, that God does call and appoint certain people in positions of leadership to bear the burden of responsibility to lead and guide and shepherd the community towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think what has been lost over the years is that we have been so uh, just immersed in the idea of corporate leadership and what it means to be a good leader. What does it mean to be a dynamic leader? What does it mean to go from good to great? What does it mean you know, to just, I mean, there's so many books on leadership, right? Uh, there, we're so just kind of immersed in that that we have failed to see the biblical principles of leadership that has, been, that has stood the test of time in, in order for us to search, study, and follow. So today, um, I, I realized that even just our church in general, uh, we, we, are, we are feeling a tension where we are no longer a church plant. Uh, we are no longer a small-sized church plant. And the way that we operate and the way that we uh, are going to continue to grow and continue to move forward is that there is going to be evolutions and changes in how we operate. And because of that, there needs to be good leadership, good godly leadership, not just from people with a title like me, but for many of us, many of you that are sitting here today, in order for us to develop in that way, we must look through scripture and find and see what is it that God calls or how does God define a godly leader. And so today we're going to look at our passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and we're going to look at the principles of leadership and, and especially for the principles of shepherding from a biblical perspective and see how can we recapture the importance of biblical leadership in our church today. So, we're gonna look at the correct understanding of what church leadership is. We're gonna look at the qualifications of church leadership. And then we're gonna look at what it means for us as Christians to strive towards Christian leadership. So, the first point correct understanding of church leadership. Well, the last uh, few years, you know, we've been reading and hearing about a lot of different uh, failures of leaders, both inside and outside the church. And uh, it, it just, kind of that, that, that feeling is, is really taking a toll on, on me and I'm sure for, for many of you, right? And there's a growing distrust of leaders today. And I think one of the things that we have to understand is that um, this does not mean that we go away from the model in which God has called us to operate in. When we look at scripture, even from the very beginning in Genesis all the way towards the end, we, we see that God clearly appoints certain people to represent his people. That he clearly appoints certain leaders to represent a group of people even from Adam and Eve we see that Adam was appointed to represent all of mankind when we look at the failure and the sin of Adam uh, it is when we think about this just a sin nature and how sin enter into the world it is called the sin of Adam it is not called the sin of Eve because she was not appointed to be the representative of all mankind it's called the sin of Adam In the same way, when we look at Jesus, we see that he is the new Adam. He's the new representative of a a community that is saved by faith in him. And it is through his perfect life, his sinless life, his obedience, his life and death and resurrection on the cross that now, uh, you know, it just kind of blankets over those that place their faith in him. God operates through leaders. And God operates through people who appoints as, as, as leaders to a certain group of people. Even when we look at Moses, we see a man who was, who was an a you know, convict, a murderer, who was appointed by God to lead his people out of Egypt. So leadership in itself is not wrong. And, and, and having certain people in positions of leadership is not wrong. And for us, we have to also kind of discern and understand, well, what does it mean for us to be called to be led? What does it mean for us to follow in a discerning and wise way the people that God has appointed to certain positions of leadership? How do we differentiate between someone that is toxic and abusive and someone who has been appointed by God? And that's a very difficult task. And so we have to understand, well, what is this leadership that God is calling us towards? The first thing that I want to kind of point our attention to is this. That Christian leadership is not about authority and power. It is about the responsibility that we're willing to bear to nurture the community around us. Okay? Christian leadership is not about gaining position or authority. It is about taking on the burden of responsibility to lead and guide and shepherd the community around us. When I was, when I was younger, um, when I first went into ministry, uh, you know, I would read this passage. Like, I, I, I told like, a, a mentor pastor who was only like three years older than me, you know, but when you're in college, three years old, than you means like he's super old, right? So I, I was like, hey, I, I think um, God is calling me into ministry. And then, and then he took me to this passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and he said, It is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And I was like, oh, I'm desiring something noble, right? And, and so, But at the same time, there was a contradiction within me because um, most of the times, Especially in, in church ministry settings, when there are people who are aspiring for leadership positions, that's a huge red flag for me, right? Uh, people who really want positions of authority and decision making and power, you're like, and leadership, you're like, that guy definitely should not be in a position of leadership, right? And, and, and like 90% of the time, I'm correct. Right. They usually have a, a, a you know kind of a, a prideful nature about them. They usually have kind of a, a different like their own agenda that they want, or they usually have like a, a desire to fulfill the, a longing that they have in their own heart. And so when I was thinking about that and then I was thinking about going into ministry, I was like, wait a second, how am I different? Do I really do I really feel called into ministry? Or do I feel that I want to do this because I like being on stage and like calling all the shots? And being the exclusion to the rules, you know, because in in college ministry, it's like everyone has to follow the rules except for the pastor, you know, and you're like, I kind of want to be the guy that sits in the back, you know, and like not doesn't pay attention. You know, you you, kind of have that mentality. And I'm like, well, what does it actually mean? And I would feel a little guilty about it. But when we look at this passage, that's not what Apostle Paul is saying. I used to think and interpret this passage and believe to see that if someone aspires to this position that they are that's noble of them how noble is it if you are aspiring to the position of an overseer but what Apostle Paul writes is this if anyone aspires to the office of overseer says he desires a noble task he's not saying that the person is noble for aspiring this position He's not even saying that the position of overseer is the noble thing that he is aspiring towards he's saying no if someone aspires to the position of leader within the christian context what he's aspiring towards is a noble task the task is noble the work is noble so what is this work and task that apostle paul is talking about he's referring not to the authority and the power that one receives in the position of leadership. He is referring to the responsibility and burden that comes when you are appointed into the position of leadership, the burden and responsibility of nurturing and caring and praying for a people that are oftentimes very stubborn, that are oftentimes very uh, uncooperative, I think one of the best examples of this is looking at the people of Israel and Moses. Uh, When I think about like an obstinate people, people who are hard to lead, people who are uh, um, really difficult, I think about the people of Israel in the desert. I mean, think about it. Moses, he did some some crazy stuff. Like if Moses came right now and, and performed some of the miracles that he performed, like he would have, he would be like a Vegas resident, right? It would be like the top show because it, it was magical. And then the people witnessed this, they saw the Red Sea part. They were able to cross on dry land they saw the the egyptian army being you know just drowned in the red sea they saw manna come from the heavens and eat you know little sugar wafers right they saw you know water come forth from a rock in the middle of the desert they saw god use this appointed leader to lead them out of slavery in which they were enslaved for 400 years under the most powerful nation and now they were being led to their promised land and yet They were constantly complaining about the type of food. They were constantly disobeying God and and worshiping idols. They're like, hey, we have a great idea. We just saw the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Hey, instead, let's melt all of our earrings and make a golden calf and worship that. You know what I mean? Like, how stubborn can they be? And yet, Moses carried that burden of responsibility. Not because he was getting all the praise and all the uh, uh, decision-making abilities, not because he was being elevated as the greatest leader of the people of Israel, but he bore that responsibility because he was appointed by God to lead the people to the promised land. What we've failed at in our culture today is that we see all the glimmer and all the praise of being in a position of power and authority. We see all the perks of our managers or, or CEOs and and what they get to do and we say we want that. What oftentimes what we fail to see is the burden of responsibility that is upon the shoulders of people who are called to lead. So when we think about what Apostle Paul is saying here, he's saying the, this, the noble task that one desires are you willing to bear that burden of responsibility. So when we think about Christian leadership, and in this specific case we're talking about elders or overseers in the church, we are not talking about men and women who are called to to call all the shots, to have all the authority, the people who who get to do what they want. No, they're, they're called to bear the burden of making sure that an obstinate and difficult people will be able to be led to the, the overflowing living water of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That even when they want to go another way, that you are willing to take that burden to say, no, this is the correct way that we need to go. Now, I'm not calling you guys obstinate or stubborn. Maybe I am, right? Just generally speaking, no one specifically, OK? just. I want to make sure I'm very clear so that no one will be like, oh, what the heck, Jay? Call me obstinate and stubborn. Hello. Is this, is this, are you guys awake? Am I, am I, I'm just, am I being weird right now? Hey? I just want to make sure. Okay. I just want to make sure you guys are alive. So when we understand this, uh, we we have to ask ourselves: what is the responsibility that God is calling us towards? What is it? What is, and here's the thing, what has been modeled to, for us and for many of you, whether it's, whether if you're a new Christian or a non-believer and you've seen leadership in your workplace or in your schools or in your families, or if you've grown up in the church and you've seen leadership modeled for you, oftentimes what we have witnessed is not Christian biblical leadership. It is people who are, are sitting uh, you know, in positions of authority using their authority for their own gain. So my prayer is that we will seek the spirit and that we would desire for the spirit to awaken us uh, to really be people of biblical leadership who desire not the power and authority of making decisions and calling all the shots, but people who are willing to bear the burden of responsibility for the, the guidance and, and, and the nurturing of the people around us. And because I believe there are many people here that have the talent and the giftedness and the heart for this, but it hasn't been modeled for us. And that's the correct understanding of leadership that we need to have. Next, what is the qualification of a church leader? Um, There are many qualifications listed here for an elder. uh, And and we're not going to go over all the qualifications, but we kind of see that there's two main categories. Uh, The two categories are character and ability. Okay, character and ability. So when we look at the characteristics of the qualified leader or, or elder here, it says, number one, that they need to be above, above reproach. And this is kind of like an overarching umbrella of what it means <clears throat> for someone who have the character of a, of, a, of a leader. So the word above reproach is not something that we really use in our everyday language. Uh, but, it, it, but it does not mean that it's someone who is sinless. The Bible is very clear. right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. Uh, Outside of Jesus and his humanity, there is no one here on this earth who will ever be without sin. So what does it mean to be above reproach? Uh, To be above reproach means that we live in such a way that it reflects integrity and moral purity so that our character and our conduct cannot be legitimately criticized by the people around us. Uh, So what does that mean? I'll put it in plain terms. Someone who is above reproach is someone that you play golf with and have no questions that they are not cheating. That you can, because you can, golf is a, it's a game of honor. It's very easy to cheat. You, they hit it way to the left, and you have no doubt that they are not going to drop a ball and be like, I found my ball. <laughs> okay. They're the people, when you finish a hole, and you say, hey, what'd you get? And they say, oh, I got a bogey. And you're like, bogey? No, it's someone above reproach, but like, hey, what'd you get? I got a bogey. And you have no questions about this score. OK? Uh, someone who is above reproach is somebody who, in the rain, is willing to put their cart back in Costco to the, to, the, to the right place. OK? I've seen this all over the internet, it's so true. If you are someone who never puts their cart back and instead puts it, like, on the curb or, like, in an empty parking spot, you are not above reproach. <laughs> you, you are, I'm going to offend you, you're despicable <laughs> because putting a cart back there, there's no one who, who, you know, polices that. You have to do it out of your own character, right? Uh, out of your own integrity. And especially if you do it in the rain, in Costco or Ikea, you are above reproach. Someone who is above reproach is someone who will, uh, you don't have to remind them about a Venmo request. You know what I mean? Like, when I was growing up, if someone owes you money, you'd be like, hey, you owe me money, right? And they give you your money, right? Now you have to silently Venmo request people. It's really weird, right? And then it, that Venmo request just sits there, and you're like, oh, I'll give it two days. Maybe you didn't see the notification. And then after like five days, you're like, hey, reminds you of the Venmo request, you know, that person is not above reproach. The person who's above reproach understands, like, hey, I owe this guy money, boom, here you go, send it, right? So we, we, we underst- these are examples of people who are above reproach, right? They are dependable, they are trustworthy. There are people you think of calling when you need a big favor. And Paul describes people who are above reproach by saying that they are faithful in their marriage. Right? We don't really have to talk too much about that. That's very clear. They are sober-minded and self-controlled, Right? people who are level-headed, people who, even if they are uh, disturbed by the circumstances around them or they are moved in in an emotional way, that they are able to regulate themselves and and, and kind of level-headedly think in a clear way, there are people who are hospitable. And I want to make very clear, what hospitable means in this context is not that you invite your friends over all the time. Hospitable in this context is that back in this day, there would be a lot of travelers who would be going from one place to another. And there's no like hotels and there's no like, you know, inns that you can go to. Uh, Hospitable people are willing to even go out of their way to help someone who they did not know. Who are willing to even house somebody who they've never met before. Uh, who are able to who are willing to go out of their way to be kind to the alien the traveler the 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 foreigner Uh, they are respectable people of good reputation they are not drunkards and the way that apostle paul writes this uh actually gives allowance to responsible drinking he's saying people who are not have a lifestyle of drunkenness Uh, and most importantly people who are not quarrelsome Okay. I, when I look at this list, I used to always focus on, like, the faithful to their wives and husbands, you know, and, and uh, not drunkard, and kind of gloss over the not quarrelsome aspect. But I'll tell you this. From my experience, the people who are most likely bad leaders are the ones who are always quarreling. You know what I'm talking about? The people who always want to argue for argument's sake, people who ask a lot of questions, even though they have no idea what that question means. You know I they, mean? They just like to hear themselves talk and to kind of alpha dog the meeting. And they want to kind of bring up devil's advocate situations, even though they have, it has no real qualms, you know, no real context to the conversation that you're having. If you know someone like that, and oftentimes in your workplaces you do, they are people who are most likely not really good leaders. Right? And, and here are qualifications written thousands of years ago, and it still applies today. Still applies today. And not a lover of money. because we understand that money is not the root of all evil but the love of money is the root of all evil and when we look at our when we look at our corporations today and and the politicians today and, and we see kind of like the main issues that we we really hate about our country or leaders it usually comes down to money right you follow the money trail you'll find a lot of corruption everywhere same thing in churches you follow the money you'll see corruption in certain places and so when we look at these qualifications, we see that a person cannot be determined to be above reproach unless they actually meet these requirements. And the only way that they, we can find out if they meet these requirements is that if they are people who have an intimate contact with the community that they're serving. One of the ways that I think corrupt leaders um, kind of hide themselves is that they don't have the intimate relationships with the people that they're serving so that you don't know if they actually meet these requirements. We have exchanged to be above reproach with to be above approach. They kind of hide in their ivory towers, and we don't really know if they are people who are sober-minded. We don't know if they are people who are self-controlled. We don't know if they are people who are not violent, uh, people who are not lovers of money, because they kind of separated themselves from the rest of the community. And I think this is very, very uh, relevant to especially the church, where oftentimes we see pastors or leaders who are off on their own and they are separated from the very lives of the very people that they are supposed to shepherd and nurture, and they don't know them. So there has to be an intimacy uh, in, in how these leaders operate within the community that they serve. Now, not only that, but when we look at the qualifications, We said that there's characteristics or character of a person. And there's also the ability of the person. Because oftentimes we say, you know, kind of um, naively, hey, as long as someone has the heart and as long as they're a good person, like, that they should be leaders. No, Apostle Paul does not say that. He gives two very clear abilities that a leader must have. They must be able to teach and they must manage their household well. So now we look at what it means to manage one's household well. I grew up in a Korean Presbyterian church. In a Korean Presbyterian church, they nominate elders. And then for some reason, um, they had this rule at my church, not all churches, but at my church, that only half of the nominations will make it. So it's like they nominate people knowing that half of them won't make it. And uh, I remember specifically that we had two family friends. Um, They were both up for nomination to be elders. Uh, one family their their oldest daughter went to john hopkins their second daughter went to pomona college and then their third son the youngest son who was my age i forget where he went he went to another good school too right and and for in in the minds of koreans to manage one's household well meant that your kids went to good colleges and were going to be doctors okay the the other family the son was in a gang he had a kid when he was 17 he was a drug addict the daughter was not as bad as him, but not as good as them. And, uh, and there was a campaign because this family was leading because they were an awesome family. Okay? I mean, the parents were awesome. And they were leading the votes. And then all of a sudden, there was a campaign from this family and said they can't be elders because they are not managing their household well. And then eventually, they did not become elders. They became elders. But this guy, I, anyway, I, I'll tell you. Anyway, okay, <laughs> but you, you know what I mean, right? So we had this idea, what does it mean for us to manage our household well? And again, the the idea of a nuclear family being the center of all things, it's only been around for like 70 years. And yet we read scripture, and we interpret scripture through our our little 70-year lens. When Apostle Paul is talking about managing one's household well, he's not talking about, are you a good parent, and do your kids grow up well? that were the case, half of pastors would should be disqualified, right? John Piper, his son is a very famous, uh, you know, atheist on TikTok right now. And, you know, is John Piper, should he be disqualified from his position? Anyways, um, what we see when it says manage one's household well is this idea that back in this time, you are not living just within a nuclear family. It is not just husband, wife, and two kids and a dog. You're talking about a you know you're 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 living with your brothers and sisters and their families you're living with slaves you're living with servants it's a little community that you are living with and the question is is do you live in peace and harmony with all sorts of different people do you live in such a way where the people that you are closest with know that you are a person of character i don't know about you guys but There are people who have big families and they're all you know, like they're all local and you're you're intermingling with each other. I'm like, if that were me, I would go crazy. But you see some of these people and you see how they react and you see how they they conduct themselves even in the midst of their family situation, and you realize they are people who manage their household well. Because who are the people that you can treat the worst knowing that they'll still be your family? Your family. I kind of gave away the punchline, anyways, (laughs) right? Who are you the most brattiest to? Your parents, knowing that they're going to be your parents. Who are you the most, you know, the standoffish to, or you can be emotional around, your your siblings, right? Because you know, but if, if you're someone who manages their household well, even in that context, you understand that they are living in relative peace and harmony in that because they are men and women of character and i think that's very it correlates very importantly to the church because here we are a family of god here we are people that are gonna annoy one another, that are gonna disagree with one another, that are gonna have differing views on certain things. We might have different political views. We might have different views on economics. We might have different views on how to raise our children and not raise our children. We might have different views on the interpretation of scripture. And yet, if we are unwilling or unable to live in harmony within each other, even though we are all saved by the same savior, then that is evidence that we are people who do not manage their own household well and should not be in positions of leadership. The second ability is the ability to teach very clear do you have giftedness do you have talent sometimes right now we're kind of averse to the giftedness and talent because of all the you know gifted and charismatic leaders that have been falling uh, but let's be real apostle paul doesn't just list the qualifications of a person of godly character and be like hey as long as they have the heart right because we often say that naively right like give me a, give me a godly person i'll follow them anywhere Not really, because I know a lot of godly pastors who have very little gifts, and their churches are very small. Because we understand the value of giftedness and talent even in scripture we see the parable of the talents that Jesus gives and the one who buried the talent on the ground and did not multiply it he was rebuked the one who was able to get some at least interest and and, and multiply his talents he was the one that was praised by God in that same way when we look at leadership it is not just only about character which is very important but the willingness and ability to grow your giftedness for the glory of God if you are just sitting on your gift and working only on your character, you are not fulfilling the role of a leader. You must grow that aspect as well. Right? Like I can have an entire team of hustle players on my basketball team. We ain't winning the championship. We need we need gifted people as well, right? If you are a manager in your work, you're not hiring just people who you like, who you think, oh, they're not going to steal my time. They are not going to steal the stapler. and They're not going to overprint stuff on, their, you know, on the printer. You need people who actually can code, who can actually manage people, who can actually get results. It's right? so a both and. And the same thing in the church. The qualification of a leader is not only people who follow the guidelines of the character of, of a godly person, but someone who is also willing to use the giftedness and talents that God has given them for the glory of him and for the nurturing of the people around them. Lastly, third point is that we need to be striving for church leadership. Uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm realizing a lot, uh, just in my own asian Americanness, is this. Uh, that, you know, there's, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic between, you know, growing up in a Western, Western culture and yet still having a lot of the, uh, the Asian culture within me in my home and just even internally. And if, just when I, when I noticed the things at a church, I realized uh, growing up oftentimes in a predominantly Korean American church or a Korean church, we see the deference of non-leaders towards leaders. Right. And, and this happens kind of in the, uh, the family dynamics that we that we grow up in as well. Right. There are there are patriarchs and matriarchs and there are certain people that are have a certain position within the family and we defer to them and not until we are called into that position to kind of take over. Do we then try to fulfill that role? Right. Because it would kind of be dishonorable if we try to fulfill that role while they're still alive. Like, like, you know, the idea of me being the man of the house while my dad was still alive and I'm like 14 years old, um, not really a thing in an Asian household, right? Even though all the shows that I watch would be like, you got to be the man of the house, right? And it's like, so it's like a weird dichotomy. Even within the church, we have this idea that there are certain people who are called to positions of leadership and everyone else needs to know your role. And not until you are called or appointed to a position of leadership, then must you start striving for these qualifications. That's not what the Bible is talking about at all. These qualifications for leadership is nothing special compared to the call to be a Christian. Every Christian should be striving for these characteristics every christian should be striving to be faithful to their spouses every christian should be striving to be level-headed level uh, you know a sober-minded not a drunkard not violent you know, you know what i mean like these are not like crazy qualifications that paul is giving towards leaders he's not saying these leaders are so special that only those that meet these requirements can become a leader he's saying no these qualifications are given to every christian here and yet the, the, the struggle and the tension that I feel is this, that many of us, that we are so eager and willing to seek out the ambitiousness of our, of our careers, we are so willing to, to, to uh, you know, excel in our schooling, in our work, or even in our families, that we don't really think about what it means to be a good Christian, what it means to be qualified Christians who may potentially be called to be leaders. So instead, we just kind of linger around in this no man's zone of attending church and kind of getting by in our spirituality until we feel that someone calls us or asks us to be a leader, then we'll get more serious about it. And that's why churches all across the world are struggling because we lack Christian leaders who are willing to strive towards these qualifications even before they are called into any sort of position. Because the Bible is not written where it does not apply to every single believer. These qualifications are for all of us, me and you. It's not just for me. It's not just for people on the board. It's not just for people who are leading community groups. If you are a believer today, you should be striving towards these characteristics. Why, because the call for us is that we love one another as Christ has loved us. And what we see in Jesus, is a man who lived his entire life without sin, one who bore the ultimate responsibility of leadership by dying upon the cross, carrying the burden of the sin of the world upon his shoulders. He rose again from the dead. He was a man of character, but he was a man of great giftedness. The greatest preacher ever on this earth was Jesus, who can gather like thousands of people as a carpenter, right? He was a gifted man. He worked on his gifts, he prayed, he he studied scripture. So the call for us today is this. Not only must we be people who discern the leaders that are already in place, we must also be people who strive to, to meet the standards of leadership, whether we are called to leadership or not, because that is the call that God has given every single one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for this time, and um, God, I, I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would allow us as followers of Jesus to be the for, forerunners in what it means to model Christian leadership, um, not only in our churches, not only in our families, but to the rest of the world. God, I, I, I repent, and, and, uh, and it's just so difficult just to see all the scandals and, and all the failures, Um, associated with people uh, who claim to be your disciples and God I just pray Lord that um, we would be able to make amends and once again um, edifying just lift up your name as people who follow after you in our conduct and our integrity and our character so God we thank you for this opportunity to just again study what it means to be a leader in your in your word And God, we just pray that all of us will strive for that leadership. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.